0: you know jim jim alluded to it a little bit and we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks the whole parenting job thing kind of like tough i don't know maybe you haven't noticed maybe you're a better parent than i am and it's not so hard for you what i have found in my own parenting and really by talking to a lot of other people who are in the parenting mode is that parenting is probably the most difficult most challenging but at the same time most rewarding job that we do in this life. Parenting's that it's it's that big. It's a big big deal. And because of that, I felt like we needed to do this series PG parental guidance to help us all with our role as parents. And it doesn't matter if you're a parent, a grandparent, adoptive parent, step parent, cool aunt and uncle a teacher, somebody who has influence over children in any way, the principles that we're talking about in parental guidance really apply to anybody who deals with children, leads children, loves children, in any way. So if you're sitting out here and, and maybe you're an empty nester and your parenting days you think are behind you, nah, not so much. If you're sitting here and you don't have children yet and, and you're thinking, well, you know, maybe one day we'll tune in because you're going to need this stuff. And if you're in the midst of it right now, I know you already have your ballpoint pen, your spiral notebook, and your recorder ready to roll. Okay, so thank you for that. But uh, you know, when we when we started out with this series, the first thing we wanted to establish was the fact that God is our role model for parenting. The Bible is filled with his wisdom and his parenting protocols and that every one of us can dial into this, tune into what he's saying, and our parenting can become better. We can do a better job at this most difficult most rewarding thing we do in this life and so in week one the first thing we did was establish who is God to be this parenting authority because we hear all kinds of voices in our world about parenting there's a lot of folks out there they're writing books or doing tv talk shows or whatever thing they do when they're promoting their method their style their protocols for parenting why should we listen to what God has to say I mean after all that book is like thousands of years old isn't it how could it possibly relate to us today and yet we discovered through the pages of Scripture, that God is our heavenly parent. He is our heavenly Father. And he created everything in the earth and the heavens and, and just everything that we know, including ourselves. We are, the Bible says, his children. That makes him our Father, and he is perfect. And so, God is the perfect parent. And if I'm going to hitch my wagon to anybody's parenting model, why would I not hitch it to the perfect parenting protocols, the perfect parenting role model, which is found in the pages of Scripture. So that was the first thing we established, that God is our Heavenly Father, that He is our perfect parent, and it makes sense that we would hitch our wagons as parents to that parenting role model. The second thing, last week, as we discussed uh, the the, the Bible and what it has to say about parenting, we we determined right off the bat that God is a God of order. Remember, we went through Genesis and we looked at how God created And there's an order to everything he created. He was very specific, and everything came in a certain order. God, from the very beginning, has been a God of order, and he's still a God of order. And God has an order for everything that he created. And God has an order for the family, and the family is the place where most parenting takes place. So I felt like it was important for us to look at what God's order for the family is. And what we discovered last week is we looked at how God designed the family dynamic, how it's supposed to work is that God comes first. He's at the very top, the very pinnacle of the parenting priorities. God first. If we don't have our vertical relationship with him dialed in, then all of our horizontal relationships with people will be messed up. So you could do everything in your power to be the best parent you can be, and if you're not dialed in to God and what he's doing in your life and what he's saying to you through his word, the work that he wants to do in your heart, then... Whatever else you're doing is going to be flawed from the beginning. So you've got to dial into God first. He is the ultimate priority for all of us as individuals and also in marriage. Now, if you're not a married parent, if you're a single mom, single dad, or, or anything else that doesn't qualify as what we call the nuclear family, you know, mom and dad and three kids and 2.5 dogs and a picket fence and all that stuff, It's okay, everything that we're talking about still fits, still applies for you. The challenge we said is for a single parent, you've gotta lean hard into God to fill the role of that other person that is missing in the equation. But God is is the God of everything and he can fill that role and then some. You've just gotta lean hard into him to do that. You've gotta lean hard into the Lord to fill that. But God's priorities, God first, spouse second. That's priority number two. Spouse second. So if you're living in that marriage, you've got to, ladies, make your husband your number one earthly relationship, your top earthly priority, right? Guys, you've got to make your wife your top earthly priority. Your relationship, the marriage relationship is the number one thing on the horizontal plane on on earth. God first, spouse second, and then the children. And we talked about how that presents a lot of challenges, doesn't it? I mean, wives are, I know, the temptation for all you moms out there is to make your kids number one, right? Because, I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into having a baby. There's a lot of love that goes into raising a child. You've invested heavily in that child, and every time you look at them, you see this, this thing, this person that you love so intensely. And so the temptation is for you to, to jump in and make the child number one. And dads, the temptation often for you is to take your role as the provider and make that number one. You want to make your career, your job number one. Because, you know, raising children is difficult and challenging. And and in the early years, they have bonds with their mother that they don't have with you and you feel left out. And so that's the thing that you can do. And so you can see how those temptations will drive you apart from the thing that God wants you to do most. the The second priority, which is protecting the marriage relationship. So God's priority order for the family is God first, spouse second, children third. So we've established some great things so far. And today we're going to establish something else that I think is great, something that maybe a lot of parents deal with. I don't know, maybe you don't. We do at our house. It's the challenge or what I call the dilemma of discipline. I mean, discipline is a hot topic today. Did you all watch the news this week? Did you know uh, about the spanking situation at the high school over in, I think it was in Fort Worth? Right, I mean, this girl received SWATs. She's like, a, I think, a freshman or sophomore in high school. She had to go to the principal's office for some kind of misbehavior. I don't even know what it was. She received SWATs, which was the appropriate punishment, the appropriate discipline for what she did. Um, they messed up. They let a, a male administrator administer SWATs to a female student. Bad decision. Um, She ended up with some bruising. Her mom and dad support corporal punishment. They're not like anti spanking people. They were cool with it, except that she got this bruise and welt because a guy did it and probably applied a little too much pressure to the board. So, you know, I'm not going to, I mean, we're going to talk in a little while about spanking and should you, shouldn't you, can we, can't we, whatever the deal. I mean, what's the Bible say? Spare the rod, spoil the child. We've all heard it. We're going to talk about spanking in a moment. My point here, though, is just that discipline. Is a big dilemma. There's a lot of parents struggling with the whole idea of do we, don't we, how do we, when do we, should we, could we, what if? And so I want to talk today about this discipline dilemma because there are a lot of voices that are competing for our attention. There's a lot of people writing books, doing talk shows, doing all this stuff. There's a lot of parenting philosophies out there. And one of the parenting philosophies that gets a lot of publicity today is this philosophy that that says that, that discipline is derogatory. Discipline's bad. Our culture is devaluing discipline. And as parents, we're caught in this dilemma of should we, could we, do we, don't we? Oh my goodness. And so we're going to answer some questions about that today. I want to talk about discipline from a biblical standpoint. And, and the Bible does talk a lot about discipline. 49 times. 49 times in 66 books, the word discipline appears in Scripture. The Bible has a little bit to say about discipline. Hundreds, probably thousands, but we're just going to go with hundreds to be safe. We're going to go on the conservative side. Hundreds of times, discipline is modeled and taught without using the word, but it's just demonstrated throughout the pages of Scripture. Just about the the whole Old Testament is about God disciplining the nation of Israel, His children, Like any children, they were kind of rebellious and went their own way and did their own thing, and God had to discipline them all throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus is disciplining his disciples. Did you notice the same root word? Yeah, disciple has the same root as the word discipline. Jesus, as he teaches and trains his disciples, is using discipline as a tool. So discipline is a part of life. It's a crucial part of life. It's a part of the pages of Scripture. It's an element that carries from the beginning to the end. It's all throughout. In fact, the book of Proverbs, which is a wisdom book, Proverbs was written by dads to pass on wisdom to their sons. It's the passing of wisdom from one generation to the next. And the book of Proverbs is filled with the word discipline, and examples of discipline and action. In fact, if you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to get started there in just a moment. Go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles with you, that's okay. We're going to put the Scriptures up here on the screen. I see smartphones coming out everywhere. People, I love the Bible on the smartphone. I just got the iPhone 5. Anybody else? Anybody? Anybody? I'm alone in this. Okay. Hey, I'm not like an Appleite. But I've been using two dead phones for the last two years. I was so excited to get a new phone. It was amazing. My Bible app works again. Amen. So um, if you've got your Bible on your phone, great. If you've got a paper Bible, great. If you're going to look on the screen, great. It works any way you want to do it. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 3. And as you turn to that, I want to tell you the three questions that I want us to answer today. Because I believe if we can answer these three questions about the discipline dilemma that each one of us can make better parenting decisions, better discipline decisions moving forward as we deal with our children or other children that we have influence and impact on. So the three questions are simply this. Why? Why do I discipline? There's a whole group of people out there saying I shouldn't, so tell me why I should. Why do I discipline? The second question is when should discipline begin? When do I begin the discipline in my family? How old does the child need to be? You know, is it too late? Is it too early? When, when do we discipline? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and the third question is, how do I discipline? How do we do the discipline deal? I mean, again, to spank or not to spank? Timeouts? Groundings? I don't know. How do we discipline? So let's start out with answering question number one. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, is a scripture verse that helps us address this first question. Why do we discipline? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Now remember, again, Proverbs is this book written from fathers to sons, passing on wisdom from generation to generation. And here we see the father addressing the son Personally, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those that he loves as a father, the son he delights in. The Lord disciplines those that he loves as a father disciplines the son that he delights in. So the very beginning of of this answer to this question is we discipline because God disciplines. We discipline because God disciplines. God disciplines you, he disciplines me, And God disciplines because God loves us. And as parents, if we love our children, we follow God's role model and we do discipline with them. You discipline a child because God disciplines you. You discipline your child because you love them as God loves you. And if you don't love your child, we got a whole other issue we need to talk about, and you can come and see me after the fact, after the message today, and we can talk about that. But I think for the most part, I can look around the room, and I think we love our children in this room. And so we know right away the reason that we need to do discipline is because God does it, and God does it because he loves us, and therefore we should do it because he does, and we should do it in love because that is how he does it. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24 is another verse that speaks to this. This is a verse that I think has been misappropriated, misapplied, maybe misunderstood, maybe not, I don't know, but let's check out what it says. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. You may have heard this probably as a child like I did, spare the rod, spoil the child. That's the, the good you know King James Version way of saying this, spare the rod, spoil the child. And it was a good reason to... Spank. It was like the self-defense thing to go back to when it came to corporal punishment. I'm not talking about corporal punishment right now. I'm talking about discipline in general. Whoever spares the rod, whoever does not discipline, hates their children. Now, you can get real angry real fast about that. If you're from the don't discipline camp, you're offended. And You know what? I'm not going to apologize for offending you. I didn't offend you. The Bible did. The Lord did. This is God saying this. I'm passing on to you what your perfect heavenly parent who created you and loves you enough to discipline you is saying to you about you disciplining your children. Hello? Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. So we discipline because God disciplines. We discipline because we love and then what this verse is telling us really is that the logical conclusion is that if to discipline is to love, then to not discipline is to not love or to hate your child. Now, I don't think anybody hates their children. I, I really don't. I don't think, I mean, there's some sick people in the world. and Maybe you're here, I, but there's some sick people who may be. But I think by and large, Parents love their children. We get frustrated. We get angry. There's a lot of, I mean, b- by and large, I think parents love our children. I think even the parents who do the no discipline deal love their children because I hear oftentimes when the defense of that, let's not do discipline, let's let them discover the world for themselves and all that kind of stuff. One of the things I hear is because I, people do that because out of love. They think that is love. I'm going to let my child find his or her own way. I I want my child to discover truth for themselves, for his or herself. And my truth may not be his truth or her truth, and and what's right for me may not be right for them, and what's real for me may not be real for them. That's relativism, and that's really the root behind the don't-do-discipline parenting philosophy. It's all about relativism. And relativism breaks down in a hurry. And so if you're loving your child through relativistic, parenting non-disciplinary parenting let's put relativism as a parenting philosophy under the microscope for just a moment let's just test it as a theory and see if it works now one of the things you can do to test it as a theory is you can kind of go to some extremes and just kind of let it play out logically and let's just go with here I have a two-year-old her name is Kinley. she's amazing she's cute she's awesome I love her dearly right and if you don't then you've never met her but Kinley's cool I love my little two-year-old daughter And Kenley is at a ripe age for discovery. Man, she's mobile, she's curious, and she does a lot of cool things to help her figure out how the world works. Now, if I'm watching Kenley one day and she's holding a bobby pin and she walks up to an electrical outlet, do I as a parent want to let her discover whether or not electricity is real and true and valid in her world? No! I don't want to do that and neither do you as a parent. I mean, a 110-volt shock, it's going to work. Like, 100% of the time, electricity is just as real for her as it is for me. And the consequences of that learning experience for her will not be good. Can we agree on that? Relativistic parenting breaks down under simple scrutiny. We have a pool in our backyard. Kinley is amazing in the pool. She can, like, hand over hand all the way around the edge of the pool, but she can't swim a lick. Like, she's been working on it for two summers. She's two, man. Give her a break. Those of you who are looking down, you can't swim. Oh, my gosh. She's two. Girl can't swim. Sinks like a rock. She's amazing at sinking. She's got that part down. She'll be a great underwater swimmer when the time comes. Would I let Kinley go out in the backyard and play by herself without supervision? No. And the way that we've taught Kinley to deal with the pool is this. We have a big, wide, like 12-inch-wide tile coping thing that goes around the pool. It's white. It stands out from our pool deck. And the rule at our pool is that you can't stand on that. You can't walk on that. And, of course, you can't run around the pool unless you're dad because dad can do whatever dad wants. That doesn't work either, really, but, you know. So anyway, Kinley's not allowed. You know what? We've disciplined her to not walk on that white tile. She knows not to get on that. That is the discipline that we've given her to train her and to keep her safe. So maybe let's fast forward a few years. You think that, okay, discipline thing is important for little kids, toddlers, right? Right? What about my teenagers? Because it really sounds more realistic that I should let my teenagers discover life on their own and and get into all these things on their own, and, and they're old enough to make their own decisions. And to a large degree, that's true. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. I have three daughters. Kenley's the youngest, Lauren's the oldest, Megan's in the middle. I do not want my children to discover for themselves, through trial and error, as teenagers, that God's plan for sex... Is between a married man and woman in the context of that marital relationship. I don't want them discovering that in the backseat of a car or anywhere else because the consequences of that can be catastrophic, just like the pool, just like the electrical outlet. So discipline is important from toddlers to teens. Let's be honest, I'm 39 years old, I still call my dad for stuff. I don't know that he's really doing discipline in my life anymore, but I'm open to the possibility that I'm still going to be doing discipline for my adult children when I'm in my 60s and they're in their 30s or 40s or whatever, okay? The possibility exists. Now, I don't believe dad's doing that, but you know what? He might be, and you might need to, no matter where you are in the parenting stage. Parenting is a never-ending job. It's just a never-ending job. And, and discipline is a part of that job, I believe, certainly from the time they're born and, and through toddlers and all the way up through their teens and probably into the 20s and the 30s and maybe beyond that, I don't know, I haven't gotten there yet. But God says that love demands discipline. If we love our children, that means we have to discipline. If we choose to not discipline, God says we're, we're actually setting our kids up to fail, Loving them and disciplining them sets them up to succeed. Not doing it sets them up to fail. The reality is discipline demonstrates love. It protects our children. It also protects others. And doing discipline is not derogatory. The Bible says, in fact, that it is a, it's a blessing. Psalm 94, verse 12. Psalm 94, 12. Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. Blessed is the one who receives discipline. Blessed is the one who receives discipline from the Lord. And I'll just go ahead and say from parents too because God has empowered parents to carry out the disciplinary act of love. So God disciplines, we must discipline. God does it out of love, we must do it out of love and as an act of love and because we love our children. And discipline Is a blessing. It's not a curse. It's not bad. It's not derogatory. God wants us to follow that parenting example, that parenting role model. But what if we don't? I mean, what if we decide to do the no discipline deal? What does the Bible say about that? I mean, I painted some kind of dramatic pictures for you a moment ago using Kinley and my daughters as examples, but what if we don't? Well, check out what Proverbs 5, verse 23 says about that. Proverbs 5.23, the writer says, For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. Again, if I'm offending you, stepping on your toes, hurting your feelings, I can't apologize. I'm just sharing with you the truth from your perfect parent, the God who loves you and who disciplines you out of love. He says, lack of discipline leads to death because we will all be led astray by our own great folly. See, failure to discipline leaves us exposed. Terribly, desperately, dramatically exposed. Exposed to our own foolishness, which every single one of us possesses, and exposed to the temptations of this world, which every single one of us faces. And that exposure is because we lack discipline in our lives. We like the discipline to deal with our own foolishness and the temptations of the world. See, disciplining your children leads to them being disciplined and then being self-disciplined, learning to control those sinful, foolish ways that are in their hearts. We discipline out of love because we want the best for our kids. We discipline because we want to Protect them. That's the why. I think we've fully answered the why question. We discipline because God disciplines. He disciplines because he loves. So we must discipline because we love. We discipline because it protects our kids. It's the loving, right thing to do. So when should discipline begin? When should we start doing the discipline deal? Is it too soon, too late, too early, whatever? Well, if you check out Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, it kind of builds on that verse we just read a little bit. It says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Folly, foolishness, exists in the hearts of children. If you have children, you already know you did not have to train them to be foolish or sinful. You could have been a great teacher. So could I. Trust me. i got lots of experience on both sides, the foolish and the sinful. They often overlap. But we didn't have to train our kids to do that. They're born foolish and sinful. It's a curse. And it's been on every person since Adam and Eve and original sin. We are born into sin. We are born foolish. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. The job of parents, through discipline, is to help them gain control or some management over their foolishness and sinfulness, to help them develop some self-discipline. It's a blessing. It's a protection that we can give to them. So, according to the Bible, we've got to start doing discipline early, right? I mean, like, really, really, really early. One of the ways that we disciplined when our kids were infants was, you know, we had a schedule for how we did our family. When they ate, when we eat, you know, we do discipline. Some of you guys are freaking out. You don't like schedules. You know what? We weren't schedule Nazis. We had flexibility built in. But that's just one way you can begin to discipline from a very early age. We haven't stopped disciplining. We got a 10-year-old. We got lots of discipline left to do. We got them from 2 to 10, man. There is discipline daily in our house. Daily. And if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, you know there was a lot of discipline in my house yesterday. I think my children were trying to give me material for today's message. They were a little late. I would already written it. I could have gone back. I thought about it. It was dicey. It was, I was close. But yeah, there was a lot of discipline happening at my house yesterday. But we've got to start doing discipline early because when we do discipline early, it establishes the priority that God has planned for the family. When you establish discipline for children at an early age, it, it, it builds into them. The understanding that it's God first, then mom and dad, and then me. If you fail to discipline early, kids are master manipulators. I think babies are like the ultimate manipulation machine. I mean, have you learned with your own babies that when they cry, you run? Guess what? They learned it too. And a lot of times they will cry just to get you to run. To pick them up, to hold them, to give them the passy, to to pat them on the back, Sometimes they're crying because they're hungry, or their diaper's wet or dirty, or sometimes we, I mean, you know, who knows why they're crying. But sometimes they're crying, I believe, just to get you to go to them, to center your universe around them. Master manipulators, those little babies. Who knew? Born into sin. Great at manipulation. We establish early discipline so that we can establish early the priority plan for the family. It builds in that thing and it prevents us from becoming kid-centric in our parenting. Kid-centric families, talked about them last week, can bring all kinds of, of mayhem and even disaster to your marriage, to your family dynamic. It can be a bad deal. So doing discipline early helps establish God's priority. Getting, at, uh, getting out of God's order. Getting out of alignment with God sets that child up again for failure to think the universe revolves around them, and they become these entitled kids who become entitled adults. And if you've dealt with my generation or the generation after me, you know what that entitlement looks like. We grew up thinking that we should have everything mom and dad had. When I got out of school, I couldn't figure out why in the world I had to live in a 560-square-foot apartment. I figured I ought to have a three-bedroom Two-bath, two-car garage house, driving a new car, making about $80,000 a year. Because that's where mom and dad were when I graduated high school, and my lifestyle should at least be where it was when I left. That's entitlement mentality. God had to do some work in my heart, and a whole lot of my friends, too. We were messed up because we we, we had this self-centered view of the world. It's wired into us. My parents did a really good job, honestly, of not having a kid-centric family. That's just how strong that self-centeredness is in a person. So as parents, we've got to discipline them from the day one, really. And another reason that we discipline is to protect them from harm. I've talked about it already, the protection aspect of discipline. You've got to discipline them early because they're going to be two-year-olds with bobby pins near an electrical outlet. And let's be honest, you can't put a plug cover on every plug that your baby might ever encounter. You can't put a rubber bumper on every coffee table and every uh, brick hearth or, or sharp object in every house or every building your baby will ever go into, right? You can't sit with them in the back seat when they're teenagers in high school on their date. I mean, you can, but that would be really weird, okay? So discipline early and discipline often. When to begin? Is your baby on the ground? Yes, discipline. Now, it's time. Which means that maybe as parents, you need to start disciplining yourselves a little bit in preparation for that child's arrival. Discipline is necessary. It is how our children learn to listen and how they learn to obey. And it starts at home with mom and dad. They learn to listen to accept authority, to obey, not because we have sat down and reasoned with them and explained to them the ins and the outs and the the whys and the wherefores. There's time and place for that. My two-year-old doesn't understand she can't swim and she can't extract oxygen from water. She just knows she can't walk on the white bricks. That's discipline. She needs it. We've got to establish that discipline to protect them. We've got to establish it so they listen and obey, not only to us, though, because we're really just the first stepping stone, what we're really trying to train them to do is to listen to the Lord and to obey Him. Again, we're not perfect parents. We're not going to be perfect parents. They have a perfect parent, and our job as parents is to point them to that perfect parent so that they can be and do and live the way God wants them to to be and do and live. They can be everything he's designed them to be. They can receive from him what he's designed them to receive from him. And if we don't discipline, if we don't plant those seeds of discipline in our children's hearts, then our children are going to reap foolishness and harm throughout their lives because that's what's already in there. That's the fruit that's going to come up. The Bible exhorts children to listen and to obey, to accept and to learn from the parents and from the Lord. And just in the book of Proverbs, I've got, look at this slide, man. There's like, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, like six or seven verses. These are just the ones I could pop off the top of my head that address children and discipline. I'm not going to read all of these. We're not going to camp on this. And this isn't here to beat you over the head or to make you feel bad. And if you're a child in the room, a teenager in the room, that, that you just write these down just if you're if you're like under a parent's authority right now there's at least one in here write these down if you're a parent and you have children under your authority you go ahead and write these down too these are going to serve you well my son do not despise the lord's discipline do not resent his rebuke whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life but whoever ignores correction leads others astray Discipline, you're protecting your own child and other people. How do you? How many of you know about somebody who was killed by a drunk driver? They were the innocent victim, right? It was the drunk driver. It, these things happen. You can protect others by protecting your own child from their foolishness. Whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge. Whoever hates correction is stupid. I love how direct the Bible can be. Proverbs 12.1 tells me I was a stupid stupid teenager i bet you were too just saying whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame that's what everybody wants right i want to be poor and embarrassed and embarrassing amen no whoever heeds correction is honored a fool spurns appearance discipline whoever heeds correction shows prudence those who disregard discipline despise themselves but the one who heeds gains understanding It's great stuff. Write those things down. Write those addresses down. That's important. It's not important because we need to be, again, beaten down by discipline. It's not what discipline's for. It's not important because parents are on some kind of, uh, um, you know, power trip, parental power trip. It's not important to have discipline because... God is some cosmic killjoy that just wants to take all the fun out of your life and make you do disciplinary things and live self-disciplined life. That's, that's not what discipline is about. God disciplines because God loves. God disciplines because God knows better than you do and I do what you need and what I need. God knows better. He created us for a purpose that he knows. He's probably trying to share it with you right now. But you need some more discipline. God empowers parents to be disciplinarians for their children to prepare them to receive from Him righteousness. Because that's where it all leads to. Undisciplined children grow into undisciplined adults. Undisciplined children don't listen to their parents. They don't honor and obey their parents. And then they don't listen to the Lord and they don't honor or obey the Lord. And when we Disobey the Lord and we disregard his discipline. We miss out on his righteousness. Turn if you would to Hebrews chapter twelve, verse eleven. Hebrews twelve, eleven. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful, right? Nobody usually likes going through discipline. I told you a minute ago I was a stupid teenager because I despised discipline because I didn't like it. No one, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So we discipline in love because God disciplines us. We discipline from day one because our hearts are filled with foolishness and our children are the same way. We discipline because it prepares us and it protects us. Number three, how do I discipline? This is the question. To spank or not to spank, right? Was the high school over in Fort Worth or wherever it was correct? hate it when I do that. Are you a spanking household? Are you right or wrong? If you watch the news, you might be worried that You know, CPS is on their way any any day now because you spank your children. If you don't spank your children, you may have heard from people in the church who have misused the verse we talked about earlier, that you must spank your child or you hate them or you don't love them or whatever. Well, no, you must discipline. So how do we do discipline? In light of Proverbs 13.4, in light of spare the rod, spoil the child, in light of a public who really, frankly, is turning away from corporal punishment as a form of discipline, a culture who devalues discipline. How do we do it? Well, there's options. Parents have a prerogative. You can be a spanking family or not be a spanking family. You can be a grounding family or not be a grounding family. God gives you some options. Not everything is a black and white, must do, must not do kind of an issue. And when I read this verse, spare the rod, spoil the child, certainly it sounds like corporal punishment and probably, in fact, is dealing directly with corporal punishment. But I think the overarching theme of this verse is discipline. Not how you do it, but that you do it. You must discipline That is not an option. How you do the discipline, that might very well, in fact, I believe is, a parental prerogative. Some people I've talked to have told me unashamedly, look, I grew up in a spanking family. I never thought I was against spanking when I had children and started to spank. I just felt horrible. I could not do it in good faith. I just felt like it wasn't right for me to do great. I've had other families. We're a spanking family. I just, I'll put it out there. You can call CPS. I'll defend. It's okay. We're a spanking family. You know why? Because spankings were probably the most loving thing my parents did for me. I'm not saying I had rough parents. I'm just saying I was that bad. (laughs) I was that rebellious as a child. I went down some pretty dark paths even in light of the discipline that my parents handed down. My brother and I used to joke every night it was time for the daily beatings. Let the beatings begin. Because we knew we had earned them. All day long we had terrorized and tormented my mother. And my dad would come home, and she would have us in our rooms Because, you know, we had already been bad, so we were grounded to our rooms. Mom stopped the spanking. She broke so many yardsticks and other things. We had a willow tree in the front yard. You'd go cut your own, you know, and she'd make a big old braided mess of willow limbs and wear us out. And it just didn't work. So we ended up, she would ground us. We'd be in our rooms grounded. And Dad would come home and administer the beatings. And me and my brother, but through the wall, we... Let the beatings begin, ha ha ha. And then dad would get home and the funny went away because the beatings were about to begin. And my dad, you knew when mom and dad had talked because dad would come in and and we'd hear them, you couldn't understand what they're saying, but you knew she had conveyed what had happened that day when coming down the hall, you heard this sound. Y'all know that sound too. And then it was always followed by that ominous, I don't know if this belt will do it, but it was like, yeah. Ah. But those spankings might have saved my life because when I had to deal with my own foolishness, my own sinfulness, I had just enough discipline imparted through my rear end and my hands when I put them back there and my legs when I tried to run. But just enough of that stuff stuck to maybe keep me from taking that next wrong turn, developing that next wrong relationship, making that next bad choice. Just enough discipline in my hard heart stuck. I think for my family, spanking was necessary look i mean there were times where the spankings there were not enough and they weren't hard enough to keep me from doing what i wanted to do i oftentimes did what i wanted to do knowing that if i got caught the punishment was going to be extreme and i did it anyway and when i got caught i just learned to take the punishment because i earned it it's kind of a badge of badge of you know? that's right warm it up dad I learned not to actually be cocky with him. I was cocky after the fact. I'd be limping around. That's right, I took it. That's right. And you go to the principal in school, and in my elementary school, they could hear it all the way down the fifth grade hallway because that's where the office was. And if you got blasts, whack! And the principal left her door open on purpose, right? So that, I mean, like that disciplinary call, it was like the belt, right? Every kid in the school knew somebody just got the Board of Correction. All that to say, I'm a, I, my, family, my household's a spanking household. Your household may not be. Here's the deal. Here's the thing that you need to know. Whatever you believe is the right course of action for discipline, spanking, not spanking, corporal punishment, no corporal punishment, have a disciplinary plan in place before you find yourself in discipline mode. Know what you're going to do before you have to do it. Okay, let me, let, me, let me give you a biblical perspective on this. The Lord, as I said earlier, had to deal with his rebellious children, the nation of Israel, all throughout the Old Testament. And he allowed them to deal with the consequences of their disobedient behavior on a regular basis. Sometimes those consequences were acts of, dis, or were, were acts of, of discipline from the Lord. He allowed those things because he knew through those, discipline could be done. Sometimes it was corporal punishment. The nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt. They did hard, manual labor. I would call that corporal punishment. It's also the king of all groundings. It was like a couple of hundred years, man. It's like the granddaddy of all groundings and corporal punishment all wrapped into one. God dealt with these rebellious children all throughout the Old Testament, and in one particular verse, Jeremiah chapter 30. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11. God is dealing with the disobedience in Israel. He's talking to the nation of Israel. Verse 11, he says, I'm with you and will save you, declares the Lord, though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you. He had scattered them out as, a, as an act of discipline. I will not completely destroy you. Notice the word completely there. I think my dad sometimes forgot that word. I'm just saying. I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only in due measure. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. God says, I will discipline you, but only in due measure. In our modern vernacular, I think that would be, let the punishment fit the crime. Decide beforehand. What is a spankable offense? What is going to be grounding? What is going to be removal of privileges? Know your children well enough to know what works with them. They are individuals if you haven't figured that out yet. And if you try to apply discipline in some cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all role, it ain't going to work. It may be brilliant for one of them, and for the other two, one, three, whatever you got, it may not work at all. So know your child. Make a plan. Know how you're going to administer disciplinary action. Let the punishment fit the crime. Discipline, but only in due measure. And he says, I will not let you go entirely unpunished. Now, I love that because there's a couple of keywords in there. Entirely is one. So he's saying right here, grace and mercy is a part of his disciplinary plan. He's not going to let the punishment always fit the crime. He's not going to also, he says, entirely, not let you go entirely unpunished. So he is going to, to let them go somewhat unpunished sometimes. But there will also be punishment. There will be discipline. To not discipline is not an option. Discipline is mandatory. How you discipline at what severity, what level of discipline, there's some options in there. There's some room for you to make parental decisions. You have parental prerogative. How you do the discipline, to spank or not to spank, to ground or not to ground, to pull privileges or not. Look, some of your kids, Lauren, our oldest, 10 years old, I can take clothes away from her, and that is the worst thing, in, the, in fact, shoes. It's the worst thing in the world. If I take her shoes away, it's horrible for her. If you have kids that have electronics... Woo-hoo. That is your number one disciplinary tool. Unless you've got a really weird kid. <laughs> that cell phone is like their life. I'm going to give you guys a hint. Except in probably some very rare circumstances, parents, you own the phone. I'll bet most of those teenagers did not buy that phone and do not pay their own phone bill. Mom and dad, own the phone. And even if the teenager does, you're still the parent. And you have parental prerogative. You have authority over that child. And so you can pull the phone. In our house, there are no phones for 10-year-olds and 9-year-olds and 2-year-olds. It ain't happening, no matter how many of their friends get them. But when they get phones, the decision has already been made. Because we own the phone, every night at bedtime, we get the phone. We already put it in practice with the iPod. Our two oldest have their own iPods. They only get to download the music. We let them. It's my account. And at night, I get the iPod. I own the iPod. You own the phone. It's greatness. And when things go wrong, when disciplinary action needs to be taken, for one of my children... The iPod is a brilliant disciplinary tool. It's an opportunity to teach and to train her heart. Taking away shoes. The other one just ground her from her friends. My nine-year-old, you just tell her she can't play with her friends, the world ended. She can't go down the street, can't have friends come over. The world has come to an end. And her behavior will change instantly. It's amazing. The two-year-old, spanking. <laughs> just corporal punishment, man. And even that is starting to wear thin, so we've got to figure out what's next for her. Parents, you have a prerogative. Spank or don't spank. Ground, don't ground. Make a plan, though. Have a disciplinary plan, and then put your plan into action. Spanking, as I said, can be one of the most loving things a parent can do. Not spanking can also be one of the most loving things a parent can do. It depends on your heart and your child's. The option is yours as to how you discipline, but there is no option about doing Discipline. Discipline must be done. Bottom line is this. Discipline is about training your child's heart. It's about training your child's heart. Everything you do in discipline from the time they're born until whatever time you stop, I don't know when that is. Everything in that time frame is about training Their hearts. It's training them to respect authority, to listen, and to obey. It's training them to submit their will, to submit their folly, their foolishness, to submit their sinfulness, and to let God substitute His grace. It really comes down to that. See, God sent Jesus to save us from that sinfulness from that foolishness. Because that separates us from God. It's the curse, as we talked about with Adam and Eve, that separated them from God. We're born into that curse. The only solution for that sinfulness is Jesus. And the only way a person comes to faith in Jesus and is willing to submit their life to his authority is when they have enough discipline to turn away from their own sin, their own foolishness, and trust him in that place when we fail to discipline we set our children up for failure in this life and failure in eternity but when you do discipline you show your child love and you set them up for success in this life and in eternity discipline is not an option